Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Front End Nationwide, the athletic, dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Fortson with you on a Thursday afternoon. It is sunny. It is bright. It is the hockey day in Central Ohio. Blue Jackets with a back-to-back against the New York Rangers. You know how this went. They beat the Rangers in Nationwide on Sunday, 4-2. to Lost to the Rangers last night in Madison Square Garden, 4-1. to Gave up two empty net goals in the final minute. In an otherwise very close game, um, the boys have played pretty well the last couple of games. Um, I think Pascal Vincent, maybe he's trying to convince himself, but he sees uh, big-time progress and wonders if maybe they've started to turn a corner here. I'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, Blue Jackets tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes. Not an easy three-game stretch here. Rangers, Rangers, uh, Carolines. Uh, Hurricanes. The Blue Jackets then will play uh, at Chicago on Saturday, and then it gets tough again. Vegas, at Pittsburgh, Edmonton, Nashville. Uh, the games are coming fast and furious now after a rather slow uh, pace for a, a month or so there. Um, featured today on this episode is Scott Wheeler, the Athletics National Reporter, covers the NF- NHL draft and prospects. And he has done his uh, yearly venture through the NHL's prospects and ranked them by team. Um, the Blue Jackets, the, the timing of this uh, podcast is rather obvious. Uh, Wheels had the Blue Jackets at number three on the list. Uh, published just yesterday. I encourage you to go look at that if you haven't already. Lots of comments on there, so I know lots of people have seen it. Uh, and Scott will be with us in just a moment. You can ask him about any of the um, Blue Jackets prospects, really any prospect from around the league, if you're so inclined. Um, let me go through his list here. Um, again, he had the Blue Jackets ranked third in the uh, in the rankings this year, and that list is. On the website, if, if you're looking at the Blue Jackets page, it's still fairly high up because it was just published yesterday. Um, now, by his criteria, there's no Fantilli because he went straight to the NHL and he's considered an NHL player. There's no Marchenko or Voronkov as they're both in the NHL. Uh, but Kent Johnston lands back on the list because he did spend some time in the American Hockey League and could again. So... Um, and despite that, despite those those players no longer being part of it, or as they say in the prospects world, uh, having graduated, um, the Blue Jackets still rank third in the league. Only Detroit and Buffalo are higher. Um, per Scott Wheeler, the number one prospect is Kent Johnson. Number two prospect is David Yerichek. Maybe I should have gone the other order to build up a little little drama here. Number three is Denton Matejchuk. Four, Jordan Dumay. And number five, Gavin Brindley. So those are all names you're certainly most likely familiar with. And we uh, will bring Scott in here momentarily, and we'll get we'll get chatting. I want to ask him about some of the names that are maybe lower on the list, too. Uh, as you probably know, I'm a big Malatesta guy. I don't think Greaves is uh, Jet Greaves is in the list at all. Too curious to get his thoughts on him. Um. So yeah, and Wheels is great at this. I, I would imagine if I did just put in the work that he did, going through almost 500 um, prospects, and I mean across all 30 teams, having gone through this, 
I'm sure he's uh, more than a little fried right now. This is his big event uh, of the year. Um, Let's see. What else we got cooking? John Davidson was in Cleveland last night. He's doing his own prospect search, if you will. Um, He was in Cleveland to watch the the Monsters play. They won in overtime. Trey Fix-Wolanski, the winner. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that will be interesting about the trade deadline, which is now eight days away will be what moves the Blue Jackets make, absolutely, but also who they uh, clear through to the AHL to play in the postseason. I spoke to Adam Fantilli the other day, asked him if there's been any discussion about him possibly going to um, Cleveland to play once his season is over. And uh, he said that 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 conversation has not been uh, had so I'm not I believe him we'll take him at his word but I would imagine that's something that the Blue Jackets have to be considering he's missed he will miss about a month month and a half by the time he's back from the calf injury spoke with um, pa- Pascal Vincent earlier this week and he said that he is still on um, on pace to play at some point this season. So Fantilli should be back. He's not skating, still walking with a limp. So I do think he's a little ways off. Um, all right. We're bringing Scott Wheeler into the chat here. Scott, you got me there and you're on the line. I do. I do. Thanks for having me. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. You're, you've been a busy man. What is, uh, what are these days like when the, I'm not saying your work is done because the season's not done. The draft isn't here and over yet, but a big chunk of your undertaking every year is now behind you. Um, did you enjoy a, a bottle of wine or perhaps a cigar the other night? Yeah, oddly enough, yesterday was my birthday, and it was actually uh, it was actually sort of the first day off I've had since before the World Juniors, which is going back to uh, December twenty fourth, I guess. So almost well, more than two months ago at this point, it's been. This this is my as far as your question. This is my busiest stretch of the year, yeah. no question. Um, this is it's a grind to get through all thirty two of them with the proper sort of detail and nuance and the reporting and all of it. So I'm happy that it's happy that it's over. I was actually enjoying a glass of wine last night when I got a, uh, a photo from my wife of a tree that had fallen on our property here. Uh, so we, we were, I was lucky that I was out with the car at the time because had the car been in the driveway, it probably would have, uh, been a nice insurance claim for us. So we're, we got a little bit lucky with where it fell, but, uh, we've actually got people from the town out in front of me here. I I may have to, uh, periodically jump off here. I think they may knock on my door at some point to ask me uh, sort of what they need to do here. So, a uh, bit of a whirlwind over the last couple of hours, but uh, literally getting it all sorted, but we're good to go. Excellent. Excellent. Well, happy birthday from, from all of us here in Columbus. Glad to have you on the pod. I know people here were very excited to see where the Blue Jackets would land. Um, because if we, if we, if we don't have a lot right now here in Columbus with the hockey team, but there is hope for the future here for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about before we get rolling into the prospects is just a thought on Yarmo Kekalainen. And lots of GMs come up through the scouting ranks, or at least have that on their their profile uh, when they emerge in the big seats in the NHL. But Yarmo Kekalainen is a scout through and through; never stopped being a scout. Yeah, um, I'm sure you had tons of interactions with Yarmo through the years, both with the the Blues and, and the Blue Jackets, perhaps as far back as Ottawa. Um, your, just your thoughts on, on the man. I don't think anyone was surprised to see it come to this, uh, but your thoughts on your interactions with him through the years and, uh, where you, how you sort of place him, uh, in, in the world of NHL GMs. Yeah. My, I mean, my perspective is obviously sort of exclusively coming from the perspective of how did he do at the draft? And I think when you look back at it from that perspective, uh, you have to, at least at the last sort of 10 years or so, you have to look back on it favorably. I mean, this is a man who passed on Jesse Pugliarvi when that wasn't uh, the the sort of believed to be choice at the time. 
This is a guy who I think took some risks, um, less so on David Yurichek, but Kent Johnson wasn't everybody's cup of tea. And as you know, I'm still a big, big believer in Kent. I think once he starts going from 13, 14 minutes a night to 16, 17, 18 minutes a night, eventually that you're going to see top of the lineup production from him. I do think that's going to come. Taking him at five did come with a little bit of risk, and I think it will pay off in the long run. I liked the Denton Matejchuk pick. You go back to even last year, Fantilli, Brinley, I think those are going to look favorable long-term. Obviously, Fantilli was a bit of a no-brainer, but Brinley, I I think, was a player that, again, not everybody would have taken Gavin Brinley in that range. Uh, even even back to Igor Chinnikov, uh, uh, sort of out of the blue pick, Igor has become an NHL player here and has surprised some people. Uh, they, they did well. There were a couple of picks over the years that I didn't love. I didn't love the selection. This is going way back, but back in 2018, I didn't love the selection of Liam Foodie. Um, <laughs> and, it, and, and Liam's obviously just had a tough time becoming more than just this, the skater that we all know he is. Right. Uh, but I mean, if, if you're if you're nitpicking at one first round pick over the course of several years, that's not exactly an indictment of the job that he did, right? So, yeah, uh, sure. e- even Kirill Marchenko in the second round, like they they did a good job. Um, I'm not sure whether it was sort of home run out of the ballpark track record at the draft, but I think he can stand on his track record at the draft at the very least as as something that that him and his amateur scouting group did a good job with and and I know a few of the few of the amateur scouts in that department pretty well and they're they're all smart smart people so uh I do have I do have a lot of respect for that group as far as Yarmo uh only had a couple of interactions with him over the years um I believe he actually got my phone number from you way back when once upon <laughs> time, and gave me a call when I when I was critical a little bit more critical of the of the pool then than I am now um, but I think that was, that was just a part, that's a part of his identity. He gave me a call and was sort of challenged me on a couple of things once upon a time, right. a few years ago. Uh, yeah. and I think that was mostly also him standing up for his guys. It was him standing up for his scouting department and guys he really yeah. believed in, in his amateur scouting department. So I think that was also a part of his DNA. Not, not that he was super combative, but, uh, he was always friendly to me when I would run into him around the rink in the aftermath of that. So it wasn't like he held a grudge or anything. Um, but yeah, we, we, we had a couple conversations like that over the years where it was just sort of going back and forth and me standing my ground on evaluations and him standing up for some of the choices that they've made and that kind of a thing. Uh, and then as, yeah. And then as fate would have it, I've been, I've been much more complimentary of that group uh, over the last few years. I thought they, as I mentioned, I thought they did a good job. They've done a good job of late. And you probably got fewer phone calls on that end, eh? Yeah, fewer phone calls when they started to appear uh, second right. and third on the list. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so, folks, if you're listening, you can you can chime in with your questions. We're going to limit it to text messages here because the stage is currently occupied by uh, Scott Wheeler. So, send some in. We've got a bunch already. We're going to go till about one forty-five. Maybe we'll push a little bit past that if we can do it. Uh, let's get rolling here, though. Jacob Jacob S. Sorry, Jacob S. Says, "Hey, Scott, thanks for your excellent prospect coverage." I want to ask about Denton Matejchuk. I saw his skating up close at development camp and was mesmerized by how light he was on his feet. This made me realize I don't have the vocabulary to describe a good skater. What do you look for in a prospect skating? What makes Matejchuk specifically a plus-level skater? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll, start with, I'll start with the theoretical first. Uh, I think there are... First of all, very different things for forwards and defensemen. Obviously, there's the backwards part of skating as a defenseman, but also just a balance. Their postures are a little bit different. The lies of their, if anybody's ever had their skates profiled, the lies of their skates and the lies of their blades sit back on their heels more than they do for forwards. They have to be upright. Uh, so there's a, there's a balance and posture and a, it's a much more mechanical skating, skating backwards than it is forwards. There are all sorts of ways to skate forwards. There are people who are very sloppy forward skaters who can really fly down the ice just from pure power and athleticism and sort of quick twitch, that sort of quick twitch sprinting mechanics that some players have. Um, there are others who just do it with edges. When you're a defenseman, it's very different. You need, it's a lot of it comes down to balance, posture. 
uh, certainly your edge work and your ability to cross over, not just walking the line in the offensive zone, but your ability to maintain gaps, to close gaps, to step up and close gaps quickly, to recover if you've made a mistake in your gap control, uh, all of those things. So I, I think in specifically with, with Denton, what stands out is obviously at five foot eleven a you have to be mobile. There aren't many poor skating five foot eleven defensemen in today's NHL. There aren't many five foot eleven defensemen in today's NHL. Period. Uh, I think part of what is going to make Denton uh, a full time top six, maybe even second pairing NHL defenseman, is his ability to recover. That that sort of recovery that I sort of talked about. Um, his footwork is just so smooth and polished. He, he's never catching an edge or stumbling over his feet or uh, sort of turning through his pivots and getting caught flat-footed if he has to turn back and skate forwards to a chipped-in puck or that kind of a thing. It's all just very smooth, very balanced. The mechanics are there. The edge work is there. And then on top of it, I think he's a good athlete. You run into him around the rink, you realize that he's a pretty fit kid. Uh, so there's that piece of the puzzle that's there. Uh, there's just a, a lot of boxes. He's a for a five foot eleven defenseman is just a really really impressive, impressive skater, impressive three way sort of three zone player, if you will. Uh, he, obviously, the offensive gifts have been would have carried him, but he's he's a captain in that league, and he's been a leader with with Hockey Canada, and he's got a ton of personalities, a bit of a character as a kid, and he defends really really hard and competitive for his size. He's not a super physical kid, but he's, he's in the battle. He engages, he's not shy. Uh, there's, there's a lot to like that way. I think he's going to be able to more than hold his own defensively for a player, his size, which is a huge positive and a huge notch in his belt. And then he's, he's got to have, and I think he does have he's but he's got to have power play upside at that height. Uh, you almost always have to be uh, that kind of a guy as well. And I think he has that element. He's creative. He sees the ice really well. He's active off the, off the line. He's got a good enough shot. He can definitely manage the manage the puck. There's there's a lot of sort of poise and calm and maturity. He's, he he sort of looks like a pro out there already at a young age. And that this is a kid who's been a top defender for three seasons in 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 the WHL. And typically, you see the sort of two seasons as a top player before you graduate. He was already a top player in his draft year. So. Um, he plays big minutes. He plays in all situations. I'm not sure whether he's going to be a penalty killer in the in the NHL, uh, but I think he's he's going to be a really good five on five guy who can who can play the power play for sure. So consistent. Um, Randy O says Scott Wheeler's comments on KJ. I think he's meaning Kent Johnson. Indicate he can flourish under the right surroundings, which included coaching. Can you expand on that? Comment. Uh, um, I think this is referring to Johnson's ice time, thirteen thirty-two. Yeah, uh, through forty-two games, twelfth or thirteenth on the team among forwards. Um, still above Voronkov. I guess there's a larger question here too, but specific to to Johnson. Uh, your thoughts on his his ice time is how he's being used by Pascal Vincent and staff. Yeah, it's a balancing act, right? Because Pascal came in, he wanted to establish a culture, and I, I spoke with members of the organization about sort of the decision to send him in November down to uh, down to the AHL, and and the sense I got from those conversations were that they didn't love his training camp and the sort of the consistency of his training camp, not just in games but also in practices. And so I understand that. On one hand, you've got to hold these kids accountable; they've got to earn it. All of that. But eventually, with a player of his caliber, it's not a character concern. The one thing they all insisted to me, I spoke with like three different members of the organization, scouting department, parts of management there. Um, the one thing they all insisted was not a character thing, not a habits thing, hard worker, all of those things, just that he he maybe viewed it like he, it was his job. Uh, and they, they, they wanted to sort of make everybody earn it. And, and that included a player of his caliber. I think the danger with that is if that happens for too long and you can't sort of put him in a position to succeed and maybe give him something that he hasn't earned, suddenly you can start to impact a player's development. And I think with him, the priority has to be on him being, if not a, a first-line player, then at least a second-line player for the, for the team long-term. Uh, when they're a good team, he needs to be on PP1. He needs to be getting 15, 16, 17 minutes minimum 
Uh, doesn't mean he has to be a 20 minute a night guy. He's probably not going to be that kind of a guy just because of his two way play and, and sort of how skinny he is. And it's, it's hard to be a big sort of matchup guy in that kind of a uh, frame and the way that he plays and all of that, but he needs to be playing more than he does. And it needs to be a priority for them. Maybe even if he hasn't earned it, that's, that's kind of where I'm at it on, on Kent at this point. Yeah. Suddenly, suddenly he starts to play more and then he starts to play better and he gets more touches and he's playing with more talented players and then he flourishes and then you're wondering, okay, now he has earned it. And, uh, and I, that doesn't mean you have to give him cookies, but, uh, I do think they need to give him a long, run, long extended run of sort of 17 minutes a night, if you will, and, and see where that, see where that lands him and see whether he can become that sort of 50 to 70 point player that they're, that they're going to need him to be. Especially in a season like this, that has been essentially uh, not meaningful in terms of the playoffs for many months now. Like, what what else are you getting out of these final thirty games of the season? Um, thanks for the question. There, uh, we go to Ryan now, who says, "Do you have the sense that the Blue Jackets are going to be held back from the playoffs, even as all the young skaters blossom because of the goaltending situation? Could the young Russian be the answer?" Uh, yeah, it's, that's, it, that's, it's obviously a position that they're going to have to address at some point. Um, I don't think that Tarasov is likely the answer. I think part of the reason I got that call once upon a time from, uh, from Yarmo was because he was a big believer in, in Tarasov and I was just a little bit lower on him. I still am. Uh, I think he's, He's probably a fine number two. I don't think he's going to be a number one goalie. Now, there aren't many number one goalies in the NHL these days. You can probably count them on one hand, maybe two hands. Uh, increasingly, we're seeing teams play in tandems, and there's no Roberto Luongo, Marc-Andre Fleury, Henrik Lundqvist, Tim Thomas, Jonathan Quick, like that. those glory days of the mid-2000s where there were 15 of those guys. Carey Price, you go down the list, Thomas Bokun. Uh, there just isn't that number of quality goaltenders anymore. And part of that's because we've lost, lost some checking lines around the league and there's more, there's more skill up and down lineups and the goons are gone and scoring is up. And uh, so all of that has impacted, I think, save percentages, but uh, no, I, I, I think that they are still, they don't have within the organization, uh, whether it's Tarasov or I don't know whether the question was even asking about uh, Ivanov, the five foot eleven r- Russian. That question yeah, might have been about him. Um, yeah, if, if the question is in terms of of Ivanov, um, I like him. Uh, I think he's going to maybe surprise some people. He's obviously five foot eleven, one hundred and sixty, one hundred and seventy pounds. That's tough. There are goalies who are starting to do that. Obviously, UC Saros is is the big name, but. Uh, Dustin Wolf is coming in Calgary. Devin Levi is coming in Calgary. I have faith that both of those kids are going to be very, very good NHL goalies. Uh, Ivanov's going to have to sort of build the track record, I think, that Dustin Wolf and Devin Levi built. Dustin Wolf and Devin Levi didn't do it for one or two years. What Ivanov has done in, in the KHL this year, which has been extremely impressive, they did it for like four or five consecutive years before teams believed in them. So, uh, Ivanov, it's just going to require patience. Like he should stay over there, spend multiple more years in the KHL doing what he's done this year. He's been excellent for two different KHL teams, obviously. Um, but it's going to, it's going to take sort of building, building a, a repertoire into his 22, 23, 24 years old before I think it's going to be a sort of a, a look in the AHL situation. Right. So, uh, I, I like him a lot though. Like I've got next week, we'll have my, my drafted prospects rankings, which always follow these pool rankings. Uh, they're going to be coming out at the athletic and he's going to be just, uh, as a sort of warning to everybody, he's going to be, uh, sort of in the, on, in the mix on the goalie list. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. He's quick. He's, he's really athletic. He's controlled. Uh, you have to be really controlled when you're a smaller goalie. Otherwise you can lose your net with all of the movement. They have to move a lot more than bigger goalies, right? So you can, you can really lose your net and start to swim at that size. Uh, but he's, he's really controlled. He stays between his posts. His angles are good. There's, there's a, there's a lot to like there. Yeah. Great. Thanks for the question, Ryan. We go to Jonathan B who says, Scott, thanks for all of your amazing work. My question surrounds Jordan Dumay. You seem to be a little higher on him than other scouts. What knocks on his game 
Is it just his size slash speed? Do they factor more than you? And what pros do you weigh more than they do? Yeah, it's uh, it's I've I had this conversation with all sorts of people around the NHL about about him and about Andrew Cristal, two players that I've sort of stuck my neck out on that have similar profiles, similar size. They're both. It's hard when you're a winger. A teams are more and more valuing centers and D in terms of the draft. And when you're a five foot eight, five foot nine winger who's got a hitch in his stride and can look a little wonky skating out there, there are teams that just will, by default, not not take you. Uh, I think part of what has allowed me to believe in Jordan over the years, well, there's a few things. A, the statistical profile, he would be the exception, not the rule. Even at his height, even as a winger, even with his skating, he would be the exception, not the rule, if he didn't make it with a statistical profile like he does. Like, we're talking about one of the 10 most productive players in the CHL since the turn of the century. This is a, and every single other player on that list played in the NHL and was very good in the NHL. So, um, the statistical profile is almost impossible to ignore. He's the kid who was going to have back-to-back 140-point seasons if he didn't uh, have his procedures done uh, after the World Juniors on his abdomen and on his hips. Um, health is the big question, I think, at this point. Uh, but as far as the actual statistic, beyond the statistical piece, why I believe in him, a incredibly, incredibly smart player. Uh, a rare player who can play at, at his own pace with the puck and still find ways to work his way in small area games, to take adv- take advantage of defenders, uh, to play pucks into spent, talented player, like very high end in all of those ways. Um, and I think that that is those tools are high end enough that it should work. And then on top of that, I do think the one thing that I've differed from scouts on is some scouts had concerns about his play off the puck. Uh, he doesn't burn a lot of energy. He's not chasing it all the time. So it can look because he's standing around and he's he's not sort of using his energy all the time. It can look like he's a little lazy out there. Uh, if you talk to the people in Halifax, though, they will tell you precisely the opposite. He has led that team in three consecutive years in takeaways. He's one of their best players. They will tell you he's one of their best players, one of their best players along the wall uh, in terms of board play, coming up with pucks, winning pucks against bigger defensemen. Uh, but he's only going to work for a puck that he, and, and this is how an, a member of the Blue Jackets organization put it to me a couple of months ago when I asked him about about Jordan. He's only going to work for the puck when he knows that he can win it. Uh, if if he can't win a race or uh, if, if, if there's just a, a guy who's got a step on him, he'll play the positional game and he'll get back above the puck and he'll support the play rather than sort of constantly trying to chase it around and win a battle and put himself out of position and all of that. So... Uh, a little bit of a unique player off the puck defensively. I don't think he's going to be a liability defensively in the NHL, though. And there are some who who did believe that, that sort of heading into his draft year that he was going to be a bit of a liability defensively. So um, it's just hard to ignore at this point the talent level and the smarts in particular, uh, plus the t- statistical track record. I think if you were to ask people in the Blue Jackets organization, they would say that in back-to-back Traverse City prospect tournaments, he was their best forward. Uh, people in the organization tell me that he outplayed Kirill Marchenko, who's obviously playing in the NHL right now, uh, in both those both of those settings, and that Kirill actually had played quite well for himself and for his own standards. So that speaks to just how good he was, even against some pro competition. Uh, he just keeps doing it outside of the blip at the World Juniors, which I think was in, being being impacted. Well, I know was being impacted by his hip. Um, Outside of the World Juniors, he's just been so good for so long, it's hard to imagine him not making it. Yeah, he's, he's one of the people here really, really excited about rooting for. Uh, Ian M. says, was Jet Greaves or Daniil Tarasov ever considered on the top prospects list? I think you already addressed Tarasov. Uh, curious what Scott's thoughts are about both of them and the potential. Where are you at with Jet Greaves? I think currently leading the AHL in wins. Yeah, Greaves is an interesting one. A kid who I, I, he's not really a kid anymore. He's sort of getting older, but a kid who I didn't have a ton of belief in, (laughs) if I'm being honest, prior to really the last couple of seasons. And I think that's not a surprise for, like, I think a lot of people would would echo that. When he was in Barrie, it wasn't, it didn't look like it was refined. Like, he just looked very raw. He made a lot of mistakes in the net. He's only six feet tall. 
uh, it just, it, he looked to me like he was going to be an ECHL goalie, not a sort of AHL goalie who's already had in his first couple of seasons at the pro level has already been called up a couple of times. Uh, his movement was always his calling card. He gets to a lot of pucks, uh, sort of explosive post to post, really strong goaltender that way. Um, but they, it, it was the control and the number of pucks that I, I thought snuck through his body. But he's been good. I mean, he's been good in Cleveland. He's been he's obviously played well in his two or three. I think he's had two or three starts. Correct me if I'm wrong. Two or three starts in the NHL now yeah. that he's looked good in. Um, so that it, I, now suddenly I, I know he's 22, 23 years old at this point, but at least he's he's organizational depth. Like, I'm not sure whether he's ever going to be a, a tandem goalie, like one of your two everyday guys in the NHL. But if he's your number three or sort of a, a has a few seasons as a number two, I think that's a very good, uh, very good outcome for him. Uh, Tarasov's a tricky one. I, I I view him sort of the same way I have over the last few seasons, which is that I just don't see it in the NHL. I think too many pucks find their ways sort of through him, stoppable pucks, um, and that's always been a, been a concern that I've had with Danil. So. Uh, I, I think they're both about in the same tier in terms of where they're at as goalies. Certainly, Jet is trending in the trend, trending in the right direction, though. Excellent. Uh, Philip A says, "I would like to hear Scott's updated thoughts on our young Russian forwards now that they have some NHL playing time. What is the ceiling for Voronkov? Same for Stillinger. I'll throw in Marchenko there as well. Those three players. Uh, where do you see them?" going it's been an interesting year really for all three of them yeah i mean we've talked about the two russians me and you just over slack and that kind of thing over the years and i'm i i I like both of them a lot they're both big boys they can both shoot the puck protect the puck they can play on the cycle they can pop open in the slot and finish plays um neither of them i i don't think are sort of high skilled sort of dangling will will find the highlight reel quality players, but they can play off of players who can get them the puck. They can play the board game. They can both really shoot it. They both are competitive enough. Um, they don't fit the sort of Russian stereotype. Uh, so there's the, I, I, I'm a believer in those, like those two guys are just, I think going to be solid middle six players for a good team and, and should have nice careers. Like that's where they're at at this point. I think that's a, not a foregone conclusion, but that's pretty close to one at this point, assuming good health. Um, I think both of them will give you sort of 20 goals a year. Marchenko's got a little bit more punch as a scorer. Um, and then who was the third kid that, that, uh, uh that yeah. Oh yes. Cole, of course. Yeah. Cole's, a. I got to know Cole really well doing a story on him ahead of the draft and, uh, sort of a little bit after going to Traverse city a couple of times and that kind of a thing. And, um, and I know Willie Desjardins with Medicine Hat and some of the coaches that he had over the years just absolutely loved him. Uh, you've gotten to know him, I'm sure, but just really charismatic kid. Yeah, uh, very articulate and well-spoken for a hockey player. All of that has the physical tools. Like he was this is a kid who at 16, 17 years old looked like a man and was sort of jacked that way. And then I know it's just been a little bit, it's taken him a little bit of a a little bit of time to to sort of figure it out in the NHL, but I, I still believe in him for sure. Uh, I think the tools are there. I think he's got more individual skill than he's been able to show in the NHL so far. Uh, I do think you're going to see him score some highlight real goals over the years with his shot and, and his hands. He's got good hands, not the quickest or fastest player. And I think that's held him back at times uh, a little bit. Uh, but he he'll work and he can shoot it and I I, I still think he's going to be a just a really solid top nine player and I don't think they're going to look back and and have regrets about how high they took him. Um, not going to be a star, uh, but he's 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 a good player and I, I I I'm I'm hopeful still for him that he's really going to put it all together and have a have a long long career. Yeah, he has quietly had a really good year this year. The goal scoring is not where it was as an 18 year old, but he has really become uh, a much better two way player. Yeah. And you know what? He's put himself in a spot now where even on nights where he doesn't play well uh, offensively or have a lot of opportunity offensively, he is impacting almost every game. Yeah. In some, some way he's just become that, that player. And I think, I 
I think the key to it was not counting goals, not trying to live up to the the 16 that he surprised with as an 18 year old because that really got in his head. Yep. Last year, he's just been a better player. He just looks like more of an NHL player this year. So he seems to be back on the right track again. Um, Clint, he, he was a, he was a kid too. I won't I won't sort of belabor it, but he was a kid too who was really impacted by the pandemic and had to go yeah, south and play in the sure. USHL and then had to play sort of uh, played up a little bit earlier than I think even he probably yep. expected. And it's, right. it was just, he's just taken a pretty unique path. So I think some patience is owed there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Clint C says, looking at our pool and our near certain top five draft slot again this year, setting aside best player available, which 2024 players in the draft seem to complement our pool and why? Well, it's a uh, cliche to say because every team wants one, but you've, I think it's the centers that, that you have to look at. I think they're in a good, this, which is oddly enough, this is a very good draft for defensemen. Um, you're going to see maybe even six defensemen taken in the top 10, which would be the first time that's happened since 2012 with the Morgan Riley, Hampus Lindholm, Matt yeah. Dumba, Tyler Myers draft. You typically only see one or two D in the top 10 these days. So uh, there are some top pairing and if not top pairing, some top four studs in this draft. I think they're in a good spot, though, that way in terms of what's coming. Like, I think Juracek and Matejchuk are going to get there and be two big pieces of the puzzle. Uh, and I'm, I just don't see that sort of first-line center within the organization. Um, so that's that's where my focus would be. Obviously, Macklin Celebrini is the guy there. Uh, but after, after Macklin Celebrini, there's two... Two sort of names, maybe three, depending on who you ask, at center, who follow that. Um, the big one uh, is out of the WHL, a kid named Berkeley Catton. Uh, a little bit on the smaller side, he's five foot eleven, which for a center is a little bit on the smaller side these days. Five foot ten, five foot eleven, but outside of that, has really everything that you look for uh, in a center, and and isn't even someone that scouts are polarized about. Typically, with five with centers that size. You'll find scouts in different camps. Every scout loves Berkeley Catton, dynamic skater, works hard, wins his fair share of battles, gets up and under pucks, tons of skill, can shoot it and score. Uh, the challenge with centers that size is always, can they get to the middle and score or are they just going to be playmakers? He can get to the middle. He goes to the front of the net. Tons, tons, tons to like there. Uh, another one, similar similar vein, not this not this quality of skater that Catton is, but is Consta Hellenius, who's a Finnish kid who's played to almost a point per game in the Finnish Liga this year. The Finnish Liga isn't a great pro league uh, anymore. I actually think it's a little overrated. Uh, I think it's it's maybe even below the German League and the Swiss League Whoa. at this point and that kind of a thing. Uh, the quality of the hockey there has taken a hit in the last decade. Um, and they aren't spending the money that they're spending in Switzerland to get players from outside of the country kind of thing. So they don't get the, the Canadians and the Americans over there or the Swedes in that league anymore or the Russians in that league anymore. Uh, but he's a really impressive kid, five foot ten, five foot eleven center. He's all about smarts, less so the dynamic skill, just all about sort of thinking the game. Uh, and then the the big one, the one that everybody will be after is Caden Lindstrom, who is a six foot four center out of Medicine Hat. Uh, six foot five, I've been told by some people, powerful, powerful skater can rip a puck, can bowl you over with it, with a phys, with sort of his physicality. Uh, he's the prototypical center that everybody wants. Uh, I'm not sure whether Lindstrom will be, be there when they draft. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. I think there's even a small chance that he might even go second or third overall in this draft and surprise some people go at going in front of some of the high end D. Uh, but those are sort of the three centers. If you don't win the Celebrini sweepstakes, it's if, for me, it's probably Lindstrom and Catton in one group and then Hellenius maybe sort of slightly behind them. But Catton and Lindstrom are top 10 picks all day. Uh, and Hellenius mm-hmm. is kind of a fringe top 10 guy. Imagine if Fantilli Lindstrom won two yeah. contours. Or there's actually there's a lot of similarities there in terms of the way they skate, the competitiveness, yeah. their willingness Power. to... There, there's, there are a lot of similarities between Adam Fantilli and Caden Lindstrom. I think Fantilli's a higher end player, uh, but if that's your one-two down the middle, um, you're, you're in a good spot. Uh, Carter Pisa is wondering, as an Ottawa 67s fan, if Luca Pinelli's size is the only thing holding him back from a higher ceiling. 
Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got the rest again. You you get that five foot nine, five foot ten player, and they just have to prove it more than a six foot four, six foot even a six foot one, six foot kid has to right. Like there's just there's a higher threshold that they have to meet at every level. They don't get to jump right into the NHL, even if they produce like players who do. They have to earn it in the AHL. They have to climb. Pinelli's going to be in that situation. Uh, we, we were talking a couple weeks ago. I'm not even sure he's going to be given, despite his play this year and the 40 goals and the captaincy in Ottawa, I'm not even sure he's going to be given uh, a... Um, sort of full-time role on the world junior team for team Canada next year. So as a 19 year, he'll be a 19 year old potentially too. So, um, but he's a kid, obviously the scoring touch has really come this year, but the, the identity of his game is just the work ethic. And and they've got a lot of kids like that, like Gavin mm-hmm. Brindley, that's, Brindley, that's yeah. all he, that's all Gavin Brindley does. That's all Luca Pinelli does. That's, that's their DNA is just get after it, work, make plays in short, short sort of bursts and then get after it again and if the first play doesn't doesn't go in you chase the puck into the corner and you go get it again right that's that's sort of who they are um i i think he's still got a chance to at least be a really good ahl player i'm not sure whether he'll ever be a full-time nhler um but I, i i like luca a lot great kid hard worker awesome sort of dna off the ice i think that's also something uh that that Yarmo and his team often yeah. sort of coveted was just the, I mean, you see it in Sillinger, um, you see it in Gavin Brindley, you see it in Luca Pinelli, you go through the the years of them drafting. I think they did care about the the character component. So a lot of, a lot of really good kids in the group. Um, and Pinelli's Pinelli's one of those kids who's going to, whether he makes it or not, he's going to get the most out of his career. He's going to take it as far as he can take it. And, and he's going to, Sort of give it as give it his all in the AHL kind of thing. So uh, I mean, I'm in, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with him and uh, sort of where he's at two or three years from now and whether he can sort of work his way into the call up conversation in his sort of mid twenties. I think that's that's the path he's going to have to take. Scott, is there any sense on uh, Brindley and and how how much longer he's going to spend at Michigan? Is he a, is he going to go for a third year? Or do you think? He's two years now. What's what? What's likely if there's any sort of talk out there on him? Yeah, it's interesting. I I spoke with him a little bit about it at the World Juniors, and he kind of played coy. And I was just trying to read sort of how he was playing yeah. it and try to right. see whether I could infer. Um, he the coaching staff told me a year ago that he was the most improved player in all of college hockey as a freshman from the start of the year to the end of the year. And if you watched him play this year, I think there's a case you could make that he's one of the most improved college player, players in college hockey for a second year in a row. Uh, he just seems to get better and better and better and make a greater and greater impact. And uh, I would probably argue that a third year isn't the end of the world for him. Uh, I know some of those kids are really eager to make that jump. And he probably believes because he's one of the best players on a top program that he's ready for it. And and he probably is ready for it. But I think in his case, there's no, there shouldn't be any rush. Uh, and you don't want to put him in a situation where he's in a fourth line role in the AHL next year either. Right. So uh, it, he's an interesting one. He's a, coincidentally, he can actually play the checking role really well because of how hard he works and because of how dynamic his skating is. So I think that's actually going to potentially help him as he tries to get into the NHL. He's not a top six or bus player. He could start in a bottom six in the NHL and work his way up uh, and and be really effective in that role, I think. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't have a strong sense for what he's going to do or a strong sort of opinion on what is best there. Um, yeah. I, I think he could turn pro and I think he could go back and I wouldn't uh I wouldn't begrudge either of those decisions. Yeah. Uh Corson Kuhlemans, this is from George M. He seems to have dropped down the prospect list. I think you've got him at eleven. Not an easy transition to the pros for Kuhlemans, uh coming out of Wisconsin when he did. Uh your yeah. thoughts on him and is there still a, a shine on this on this player, former first round draft pick? Yeah, Coleman's is an interesting one. He's always been a pretty rough around the edges player. I think part of that was just coming through the AJHL and and not having the sort of refined game going into college that that players who come uh, through the USHL do. And I think he could have potentially even gone to the USHL for a year, which is commonly happening now, where players out of junior A in Canada will play their draft year in Canada and then play one year in the USHL before making the jump to college. I think that could have benefited him. 
his identity and his sort of game has always been about how strong he is. Very physically mature kid, can shoot a puck, uh, can can win his battles, can can push you off of pucks. All of that has always been his bread and butter. The decision-making has been what's gotten him into trouble, uh, both in college and early on at the, in what I've seen at the pro level in Cleveland. Um, he was also in a very tough spot though. That Wisconsin program was an absolute mess. Yeah, uh, they, they, they laid off Granado and brought in uh, obviously Mike Hastings, who's very good at his job, but he was in the Granado era and that team was one of the tougher teams to watch in college hockey. Uh, everybody on that team seemed to underperform when they went in there. Uh, and he had a tough go, especially in his freshman year, the first half of his freshman year, he he looked terrible. Uh, like he did not look like a first round pick. And then the second half of his freshman year, and then definitely last year uh, looked a lot better, still in a difficult situation. Um, it was always going to take him some time though, like going from the AJHL to the AHL in two years is especially as a defenseman, that's a, that's a big, big jump. And you got to hope that you're developing really quickly in those two years. And I just, I'm not sure he got that proper development with Wisconsin. So uh, it, it might just be about waiting. Uh, and at this point, you're probably setting the expectations on if he can play for us, that's, that's a win. Like, I think you're hoping he can be a third pairing guy at this point who plays hard and uh, scores five to eight goals a year from the back end because he can shoot it and can chip in at even strength. And that's, that's kind of what you're hoping for at this point. Yeah. We're talking with Scott Wheeler, national prospect and NHL draft reporter for the athletic. Uh, I've got time for a few more. Um, let's see. Austin H says, what is your philosophy on drafting best player available versus drafting a position of need? And if you are the blue jackets this year, how do you approach the draft? I mean, it's it's the simplest answer is to just be saying that you should just be acquiring as much talent as you can, and that means drafting the best player on your board regardless of position. Now, that doesn't mean that you draft it's ten goals. wingers, right? Yeah. Like it's there are still premium positions. You still have to take a goalie every couple of years. You still need to prioritize center and D where you can. But I think the teams that get too carried away with that do win the war. I think oftentimes, if you look back at at recent drafts, I think that the players who are most often the ones who rise the most, quote unquote, rise the most post-draft are often wingers. And they're often mm-hmm. five foot 10 or five foot 11. So I do yeah. think you got to be careful uh, not to get too carried away with size and position. Obviously, still matters that teams that have won the last few Stanley Cups, look at Vegas, look at Tampa, look at St. Louis. They were big teams. It, it, it is a thing. Uh, it can't be ignored. But I do think that on each of those teams, who were who some of the most valuable players? And it was William Carlson on Vegas last year, right? Like it, you go down the list, they've all got those guys as well. You've got the Braden Points and the Nikita Kucherovs and the Anthony Sorellis. These guys are all five foot eleven. Um so that's that's a piece of it. I do think you can find value if you're not too honed in on position, um, but you still it's still a factor, and it has to be at least a little bit of a factor. Um, teams win down the middle and on D, like that's that's uh, tried and true for a hundred years, basically. So um, yeah, I, I my list, I, I think I I tend to be a little bit higher on wingers than actual NHL clubs are. Uh, in terms of putting together my list. So uh, that's a part of the process for me. I, I like to try to find value in some wingers. Um, but beyond that, it's uh, I, I, don't, I don't read too much into it. Uh, as far as their the Blue Jackets and their process this year, um, uh, I, I don't know whether they should have much of a process. Obviously, I talked about uh, a center and I did see a question in the chat here about when, when I mentioned that there's no number one center coming, was that including Adam Fantilli, who's already graduated? And the answer there obviously is no. I think Adam's got a real chance to be that. Um, but th- there isn't another center beyond behind him coming outside of Gavin Brindley, who may end up on the wing, really. So um, 
that that's that's I think you could prioritize that uh, even after taking Fantilli, you could continue to prioritize center if, if you are trying to sort of fill a void in the pool. They've got some wingers coming. They've got good depth on D. I mentioned Yerichek and Matejchuk, but I think Stanislav and we talked about Coolmans, but I think Stanislav Vozel has got a chance to become an NHL defenseman as well. Um, now you can't have four or five young defensemen on your roster all at once, and I think that Matejchuk and Yerichek are going to get prioritized, which could be. A uh, bit of tough luck for a player like Zvozil, but I like Zvozil. Um, so they've got they've got depth on D coming for sure, um, but they've also got they've got talent up front too, and they've prioritized that with Marchenko and KJ and Adam and um, and Gavin's coming and Gavin's going to be a player and all of that. So I don't think they really need to worry all that much outside of maybe center and and goaltending. I don't think they really need to worry uh, too much about positions. Um, I would like to. I, I do wonder whether they'll take a goalie uh, fairly high yeah. this year. Like that's that's something I think. Second, if 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 there's only two or three goalies that go in the second round every year, and this draft is similar, and there's going to be two or three goalies taken in the second round, I wouldn't be surprised if if they were one of those teams. Douglas says, "Scott, we have a pretty good depth on the decor coming up." To my mind, that depth is primarily in puck moving D and hybrid scoring D, but not in defensive defensemen. Is this a reflection of the way the NHL is going, or is this more a weakness in our defensive prospects? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a testament to the way that it's going. Um, It's, it's trending that way. Like all six guys need to move it. And you still have, you look around the league, there's still definitely the odd sort of classic defense defender. And by that, I mean, look at, a Brandon Carlo in Boston or um, even a couple of the D that they have in, in Vegas. I mean, Nick Hag can really shoot it. So he's got offense from his shot, but Nick Hag sort of reminds of the way that teams used to build their, their decors. Um, But by and large, all 60 on good teams around the NHL can move it and can play on offense. And if someone goes down, one of your power play quarterbacks go down, Typically nowadays, teams have three or four guys in their top six that have played on a power play their whole lives and have been power play guys at lower levels and that kind of a thing. Um, and I think it's that's the way that the game is going. Scoring is up. We all know that. I, we, I touched on the sort of goons and the, the enforcer earlier and the way that rosters are now being constructed up front is definitely much different than it was even 10 years ago. But I think the same is slowly starting to happen uh, on defense as well. And I, I think you look at even the sort of quote unquote offensive defensemen that they have. I think Denton Matejchuk and David Yerichek are going to be able to defend, for example. So, um, it's not as though those guys are going to be liability just because they're offensively inclined. It's not as though they're going to be liabilities in their own zone. So, um, it's, it's by committee. It's a five man unit to play defense, uh, in today's NHL. And I think that as, as a result of that, there's just a little bit more, uh, more guys who are offensively tilted. Yeah. And your check is in the American hockey league right now, learning to play yeah. uh, defense and play without the puck. That's really what they're working on with him. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Let's see. Uh, Nicole says, has the misdevelopment year for for 2000 and 2001 seriously affected the quality of prospects in the last few drafts and maybe even the 2024 draft? Are we getting still yes. getting over COVID? Yes, absolutely. It is still impacting players. Um, I, I think the, you can tell uh, the most pronounced version of that has been in the OHL. This has been... Mm, really three, four consecutive drafts in the OHL where the first overall pick, let alone, or, or I should say a top five pick, let alone a first overall one, isn't coming out of the OHL. Like the, the star players who are in minor hockey during COVID who've come through the OHL since are, are absolutely behind. And that's because the OHL didn't get up and running like the WHL and the USHL and the, even the QMJHL did. Uh, and certainly the leagues in Europe. I mean, the J20 level in in Sweden, they played on. They never they never stopped playing. And I think that was those those two lost seasons in the OHL 
were a big, big deal, not just for the kids who were in the OHL when it happened, but for the kids who were in minor hockey in, I'm, I'm, I'm up here in Toronto here, minor hockey shut down in Ontario as well. So kids didn't get their 14 and 15 year old seasons, which are huge, huge, huge development leagues, especially now when body contact isn't even starting until, until 13, 14 in Ontario. So, uh, it's, it's, it's still having an impact. Uh, even players like Callum Ritchie, for example, is a Colorado first round pick from last year, who was one of the better players coming out of the OHL in last year's draft. Callum looks like he's taken a massive step this season, a bigger step than people expected. And I think that is just catch up that he was just behind a year ago. Um, So there's, there's definite, it's definitely still impacting the draft classes, uh, but especially so here in Ontario, I think. Uh, last question for you, Scott. Thanks for doing this, my man. Tyler Peddle, the last pick in the draft last year, 224 overall. Some would call him Mr. Irrelevant. I will not. Uh, <laughs> traded from Drummondville to St. John this year. But even that that trade, he's he's not had a great year. He had 24 no. goals, 41 points last year. He's at 9-11-20 uh, right now through 45 games. What's up with, with uh, Tyler Peddle? I certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, no expect too much from a guy who goes late, late in the seventh round, but you get drafted by the NHL. You're a pretty good player. Um, what is your understanding as to what's going on with pedal, if anything, or if this is just a down year? Yeah, he's an interesting one. He's one of those kids that was so good and so threatening in minor hockey that I was hearing about him in minor hockey, which isn't honestly a level that I pay a ton of attention to unless you're right. Bedard or Shane Wright or that ilk. Right. So, yeah. um, He's a kid who was a top, top prospect coming into the QMJHL, scored a ton of goals in his rookie season, looked like he was going to be go from being a 30-goal guy to a 40-50 goal guy in the in the league. And then right in the middle of that, really in his draft year, he went from being a sort of five foot nine, five foot ten skill guy, and he had a big growth spurt. And I believe I I don't have it in front of him in front of me, but I think he's like six one or six two now. And it's been a struggle for him to sort of still play at that size, play the skill game. It's just a little bit harder. I think part of it has been coaching and coaches trying to turn him into more of a push and pop shooting checker type as well. A player who will get after it. I don't think he has the sort of makeup to play that game. Uh, Skating is an issue for him. So I think he, uh, I've written about this a little bit, but he's a player who I've often argued just needs to, sort of commit to being a one-dimensional scorer and be that guy instead of trying to be the sort of third-line checker. I'm just not sure that that's ever going to really work out for him. Um, But it's been interesting to see his game change. He's playing a very different style. It's almost like he's a different player. He's playing a very different style now than when he first broke into the queue. So uh, he's still sort of at least worth peripheral interest, but he's got a long way to go. Uh, as a result of this season, he was a guy who I, when I asked a, a scout with the Blue Jackets about him after the draft and sort of what they saw, why they liked him, uh, they they thought they might be able to work with him, like just a kind of a project pick that they could that has some talent and clearly can shoot the puck that they thought they could turn into something more. Uh, obviously, this year has been been a tough one for him though, and when you have a year where you're half a point per game uh, in your post draft season. Uh, if you look at the trends and the numbers in terms of projectability, it becomes almost impossible for a player like that to make the NHL, um, yeah. let alone even getting an entry-level contract, right? So he's got he's going to have to prove some people wrong at this point. Yeah. Okay, so I lied. One more question for you because i got to ask you about this guy. He is my sleeper on the list. Every time I see Cleveland play, I go, that kid's going to make it, and nobody's going to stop him. James Malatesta. Oh. Um, I mean, I think he's had a pretty good first year pro 11 goals, 20 points with Cleveland's been in and out of the lineup because they've got too many players there. They've, they've sort of rotated even their, some of their top players, um, pretty decent first year pro. He's not big by any stretch. He's five, nine, but he's packed. Yeah. He's a, he's a thick dude and he runs people over. Um, I think he could be a fourth line guy. In the NHL, maybe in the right circumstances, a third line guy. What What are your thoughts on on Malatesta? I know he made your list. He's he's fairly far down, not a super high end skill guy by any stretch, 
Um, but you like this player too. Yeah, I mean, we've. We, I remember we talked about him when he had that stellar Traverse City a couple of years ago, and he's yeah. a kid. I, I I mentioned Brindley and Pinelli as just that sort of get after it DNA, and you can absolutely. I, I should have mentioned James Malatesta in that because you can add him to that list. He is just a worker bee, tenacious, scrappy, goes to the dirty areas, finds ways to impact play. Uh, very, very likable player. If he makes it to the NHL, I have no doubt he'll be a fan favorite for the style that he plays. Um, obviously, QMJHL playoff MVP and Memorial Cup MVP. So back-to-back MVPs right. when the games mattered most in junior hockey last year. Uh, it's there, There's something there. I think you're, you're on to something in terms of fourth liner. Part of the reason he was sort of in that sort of 10, 12, 10, 11, 12, 13 range on my list was a, cause they have a deeper pool than most. And, and I like players like Brindley and Zbozil, uh, to sort of, to make it and to, to sort of warrant being higher on the list, uh, than a player like Malatesta, but he's right there in that next group within their pool. Uh, and I think he's got a real opportunity. He's, he's just fits the fourth liner, get after it, spend a shift in the offensive zone, potentially help out on the penalty kill like he fits that mold really good skater too which helps with the potential for him to be on a pk uh long term as well so uh if he can even give you a sort of 10 goals 10 assists 20 point player who provides some energy and some helps in your locker room with this character and stands up for his teammates and all that and that's that's what you're hoping for there sean corrali on the wing yeah 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 there you go there you go. Scott Wheeler, thank you so much for doing this. I know the people enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Great chat. Uh, again, it's what keeps the sun coming up in Columbus, Ohio, in a season like this. Uh, the future is bright. Thanks, you. Thanks for making it a little more vivid for us with your time today. Yeah. Cheers, Partsy. All right. Thanks, man. All the best. And, folks, thanks for listening to Front End Nationwide. Uh, we'll be back next week. Of course, next week is the NHL trade deadline. Uh, Thinking it's going to be a quiet week for the Blue Jackets, but you never really know. Uh, we'll get we'll get together probably on Wednesday. I'll have to look and see how things work out. But thinking about Wednesday, um, get it out of the way early in the week. Not out of the way, but but not too close to the trade deadline when things could be going down. Uh, thanks so much again. We'll talk to you very soon. All the best to you. Have a great week. Bye.